0: Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. With your host, Tom Traplin, this is session number 51. Today's edition of the Maniverse Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash MVP book, over 180 thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or whatever else you use to listen to excellent audiobooks. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the metaverse Podcast. I am your host Tom Traplin, and it has been a while now. I just wanted to uh, uh, give you a little bit of an update as to what I've been up to for the past like month or so. Uh, for those who are Regular listeners, you may have noticed there's been a big, uh, a fairly hefty gap between the, uh, the release of episode 50 and uh, this one we've got going on today. And the, the, the reason I've been, the, the reason that this uh, episode has taken so long to be released is basically I have been extraordinarily busy. For those who don't know, uh, who haven't uh, heard all my episodes and how dare you, just kidding, uh, for those who don't know, I, my day job is I'm an operations supervisor at a distribution center, which is super exciting, I say with a lot of sarcasm, but uh, that takes up a, a fairly hefty portion of my time. But in the, uh, the past couple of months, I've actually been, I want to say, transitioning into uh, other roles where I'm now kind of uh, setting up some side gigs, some side businesses, where I do a lot of production for other podcasts. So I'm in the process of launching a uh, someone else's podcast that's going to be coming out in January and that is a uh, a lot of work. And now so in addition to that I'm also pro- I also write a lot of the uh the show notes for a whole whole bunch of other podcasts. Uh, yeah, so in the in regards to the transitioning point I'm actually working on uh, hopefully at some point in the near future becoming a full-time podcast producer. So and it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's something I really enjoy doing, but at the same time, uh, this middle ground between working like somewhere between eight to ten hours a day, depending on the day during my day job, and then you know somewhere between one to four hours extra on top of that, doing my side stuff has uh, t- has really put this this project on uh, on the back burner. So I'm getting to it finally. Finally, getting to this episode and uh, so that that's the background information as to why this is taking so long and uh, hopefully the next episode does not take nearly as long because i'm i'm actually uh, well that one's gonna be a lot of work but uh, you will know why at the end of this episode the secret will be revealed as to what the the next upcoming show is about but for episode 51 that we're listening to right now we've got something interesting something different for you guys uh we're not talking about the business of games today. We're actually talking about games today. And this episode me, Wayne and John are talking our top 5 favorite board games right now. So the list may change in the future, but right now we're going through our top 5 favorites. And uh yeah, we've got some really interesting picks. There's probably a whole bunch of games that maybe you never heard of that you might, you know, you might want to give a shot. Uh, I think we've got a pretty wide variety. Now, uh, <laughs> I think there's two different kinds of people when it comes to board games. There are people who are uh, like me and Wayne, who the general way we approach them is we go deep. We don't go wide. We have a select few games that we really go hard on, and then those are the ones that we stick to. And uh, I think John's got a bit more of an esoteric, an eclectic Taste in his board games and he goes uh, he dabbles a little bit more so it uh, depends on how you want to approach it but uh, no matter what you are going to find some interesting choices some nice tasty tidbits for some new games so if you want to check out some new games i definitely recommend checking out the show notes all the links to those said games that we discuss will be down in the show notes so be sure to check those out and uh yeah so without any further ado. Let's get into the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Manaverse podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and I have with me my two co-hosts, Wayne Middlestead. Hey,
1: owner of Dueling Grounds in Toronto, Canada.
0: Yep, and John Cobiolo. Hey, guys,
2: I'm John Coviolo, I'm the owner of the Little um, Shop of Magic in Las Vegas, Nevada.
0: But uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about the business of games today. We're actually going to talk about the games. Well, before we get into that, though, I think uh, Wayne wanted to add a little something to a prior discussion we had on the show.
1: Yeah, I'm I, I, um, sorry I missed the uh, the show you were talking about websites. Uh, I really wanted to participate on that and uh, get my website shown on, on the Skype, too. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a website for over 13 years. I've been in business for 13 years, but I've had a website for 15 because I started out as a a promoter of large magic events to sort of get my name recognized in the community. So the first website was just a very simple uh, listing of all the events and the prizes you'd get. And I could spend a lot of time on, on, you know, images of moxes and other big prize cards and stuff that I was giving out. Um, And then... uh, over the years. Uh, and I was also uh, trained to use uh, Dreamweaver, Adobe Dreamweaver mm. uh, through my previous career as an art director. So uh, Dreamweaver was my go-to uh, platform. And uh, as I revised it through the years, there was a transition from just promoting events to like, hey, I got a store now. And um, that first, hey, I got a store now website was pretty crappy. <laughs> I look back on it. And then as the uh, Years went by, the, the website got better and better, and now we're on our fifth uh, version of it, uh, and I've left Dreamweaver behind because my, my Dreamweaver software is uh, outdated now for my computers. I didn't want to reinvest in it, and uh, it, it's, it's a bit complicated and hardcore for my needs right now, too. I was looking for something a lot easier, because uh, I was looking for a huge revision this time, like a real departure from my last site. And assembled upon a place, uh, like my, my wife was really trying to get me to use WordPress. Uh, and uh, here's so many good things about it. And But I stumbled myself on this, this uh, Wix.com, um, which is just a very uh, super easy drag and drop. You have templates, plugins, like anything you can think of, like a video or something. You can just click and it's on your video, the video is on your website. Um, and that's one thing I added to my front page was just like this video. And it's a video about me and my game store and just that video alone has brought in new customers. Cause they get a real sense of who I am, what my store is like. They get that, that feeling, that impression yeah, that you would get, sure. that you wouldn't get it unless you walked into the store. So, um, that's
0: kind of what we're doing here, we're doing this nice. video to get a, get an idea as to what everyone, uh, what everyone is like behind the counter.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, Wix.com, especially you, Thomas, yep. since you're, uh, you have. yeah, yeah I'm um, taking a look at it. Yeah, I don't know how good their e-commerce section is, but um, you know, I was going to approach it the same way uh, Gary from the Haunted Games Cafe was, is doing it. He has a separate e-commerce site that's linked to a site. That's exactly what I plan on doing anyway, so I don't care if Wix isn't good enough. Uh, in fact, I just bought uh, three new domain names for that future e-commerce uh, um, expansion that I intend to do. Uh, over the next few years, cool, um, and yeah, that's really all I, I had to con- contribute. And uh, just you know, I didn't want to feel left out, so I wasn't there last last session. <laughs> I
0: think it's good. Wix is a good option for uh, somebody just getting started. It's super easy to use. It's kind of like Squarespace in that way. It's mm-hmm. you you pay a little bit more upfront, but it's the the toolbox is so much easier.
2: I never heard of it, but that, that's good to know. I mean it seems like there's more and more options people really just want to start off with this stuff. So that that's a
1: good thing, definitely.
0: Um, yeah. And uh, in case people are wondering, W I X.
1: Right.com, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's get into everyone's favorite subject. Favorite games. This is like a this is tough. So we're gonna talk about the top five personal favorite favorite games. So, how okay, well, before we get started, how hard was it to, like, pick five?
2: Oh, God, just five? I mean, I really had to set some criteria. I kind of approached it with, like, what games am I playing right now? Um, What games I would play with, like, what we call the mundane's, and look at it, like, what's my favorite game currently in each one of the categories kind of situation? Because it's really, really hard to pick. Um, Just what's your most favorite games? I get the question a lot at the store, and it's like, I play so many different ones and it depends what mood I'm in, you know what I mean? Yes, it was a really, really difficult position.
1: That's funny, it's sort of contrasts from my approach because I had the first four pretty easily came to me and then it was the fifth one that I had a hard time listing for a top five and that was just trying to think of what other game do I like, not that I had an overwhelming amount of, of choices because I tend to like, when I find a game I really like, I really get into it. Um, so I, I play less games, but the games I'm into, I'm really, really into them.
2: But Before we got into it, though, I wanted to just do a quick shout-out. Uh, yes. The idea came from one of my customers. His name is Greg Grant, and I hate you, Greg, for posing this question. I'm answering it, but I hate you. You made me go through hell trying to figure out these five games. Um, and, and I want to point out, it's just, it doesn't mean that because these are my top five games right now, the other ones are bad or anything like that. There's really a plethora of games out there, and they're fun, and the lesson from I want to Take away from this is, it's it's really different, and I'm really curious to see what Thomas and Wayne have picked out, and then if uh, Gary can join us later, him too, um, because I want to see if there's any overlap or or if we're just completely separate, different gaming beasts, right? Um, when when a customer comes in the store and goes, you know, what's what's the best game you have? There's no such thing. Uh, I am trying to find what's the best game for you, and and it's difficult, yeah. but but that's how I win, right? So. It's kind of hard because I have a lot of different tastes, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I did it. <laughs> I <laughs> hate you, Greg. Um, and it's all your fault, so we'll, we'll go with that.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, too, because it definitely says a lot about you, about the games you play. It'll, it'll say uh, what kind of gamer you are, depending on uh, how your list breaks out. And, you know, like you said, to preface the whole thing, this is just uh, top five games right now. That can very well change in the next few months, and, it, and I'm sure the list will fluctuate depending on how you're feeling. But you uh, yeah, we got it done. We got some mm-hmm. interesting stuff. So, who wants to go first?
2: Wayne, do you want to attack
1: it? Do you want me to go first? I thought we'd let the, our host talk first.
0: Really? You uh, want me to? You want me to go first? Yeah.
1: Why okay. didn't you go first?
0: Oh. Okay, for me, it was it was it was a tricky tricky list to come up with. Or at least, like uh, Wayne said, like I have a good number of games that I'm like, okay, this one, this one, this one, this one. And then the last couple were like, uh, I don't know. But for me, number one, magic magic's been in my life for 20 years, like almost as long as the games existed. I've been playing it for a very long time. And it's the only game that is stuck for like, I've, you know, revisit you, 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 stop playing it for a while and then you come back and you stop playing, it, you come back and it's just, it, it's always there. And it's, it's one of the few games that I can actually identify with as like, I'm a magic player. Like it's part of me. Part of my personality, whereas like other other games, maybe I play them, but they're not like a part of my uh, part of my core. I don't know what it is about magic. Well, I do know what it is. It's a great game. It's like so well designed most of the time, you know, depending on the uh, the error of standard. Uh, Certain standards have been better than others. I'm sure you guys have noticed. Necro winter, those kinds of things where like, yeah, they they drop the ball a little bit, but as as a whole. Magic is a fantastically designed game, and I think it's probably one of the best. So, for me, number one, Magic. It's always been there. It'll always be there, probably, as long as it exists. Yeah.
2: And you, know, you know what's interesting, too, Thomas? Mm. You can say, I'm a Magic player, and you immediately are in that category, versus I can say, I play <laughs> Legacy. Does that make me a board gamer? Does that make sense? i oh, sorry, a pandemic? Does that make me a board gamer? Or yeah. you, I'm gonna, So, le- Magic is its own category sometimes.
1: So it's yeah, very- it's
0: so big that it, it's its own thing. It's got its own life. That's why, I like, it's part of, like, my identity, my personality. So that's why.
1: Yeah. It has its own language. Like, you can literally run into somebody at a house party you've never met before, and you hear them say magic. You're like, you play magic, and you can just start talking magic ease or whatever you want to call it. And you can have this fluent conversation in perfectly clear English or whatever language everybody talks and no one will be able to follow it unless they play Magic. So you're definitely in a club. You're in a little league. You can go from, I know people who've moved across the country, and first thing they do is they go to a game store. Um, They go play Magic, and they meet other Magic players, and those are uh, many times the the first friends they make. It's just a very common, because people are, where they're really passionate about Magic, for sure, as am I, as you can tell. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it's one of the, yeah, it's just one of my favorite games. And one of the, interesting stories about it was I remember reading an article about a person who went to, I think it was Japan and basically was on a bus and like had a, had one of their magic decks with them. And someone on the bus was like magic, like knew exactly what they were talking about. They knew what the game was. And right. they started playing on this like really long bus ride, even though both of them couldn't speak like each other's languages. It like it crossed barriers. Yes. You could recognize the cards. You could see the pictures and like, you could play a game Without being able to communicate at all, mm-hmm. that like that uh, bridge to other people is fantastic. So yeah, number one, magic, magic in all its forms, pretty much. I'm I'm a equal opportunity magic player. The only games I I think I'm like Neh. like multiplayer magic that's not for me. But that's the <sighs> other cool thing about magic is that it can be tailored. Like it's a very I say it's like a hydra. It's, it can appeal to so many different kinds of players, right? Like you can be uh, the totally casual, I just want to have fun with my EDH deck magic player. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you can be the hyper-competitive, I just want to play in the tournament and I want to I wanna win and I want to compete and like you get to rush off of that. And that's probably where I end up, somewhere on that uh, competitive end of the spectrum. But you can be any kind of player and there's almost a, a kind of magic for you. So I think that's really cool about it. So, yeah, I guess I've gushed on Magic enough for that, I think. (laughs) So my number two game was uh, Settlers of Catan. Oh, unexpected.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a surprise.
0: Yeah, well, I I spent probably, like, the first time I played Settlers was uh, in high school over 10 years ago. And I remember I spent almost probably every day of a summer vacation playing multiple games of Settlers of Catan. There was like one summer where I didn't have a job, where I only had a part-time job, only worked a couple of days a week. And the rest of the time was literally like a group of my friends would, we would hang out together and we'd spend a very large portion of the day playing multiple games of Settlers. And I just like the way it was a very unique game for me because I like the, the unstructured negotiation. I always thought that was really cool because it's like, okay, you've got these resources. And for people who've never played Settlers, it's, a, it's an interesting game. There's a map, you build settlements and you're trying to win through victory points, but the only way you can win is by trading your resources with other players. And the resources generated is is randomized over the course of the turns. The uh, the cards that you trade, it's that's pretty much the core of the gameplay. Is this back and forth negotiation, I'll trade you, you know, some sheep for your wood and I'll build a road and this kind of thing. But when you have lots of players in the game, it gets really weird. And this is where, like, I think it's interesting that I don't like multiplayer Magic, but I do like multiplayer Settlers. The politics is really interesting. Mm. They're like, oh, you're, I like the making of a deal aspect of it. You're like, oh, come on, I'll give you two woods, two wood. What are you gonna do? A three? Like, oddly, you know, whatever, whatever it takes to to get the the stuff you need to accomplish your goals, right?
2: And oddly enough, I think that's why the uh, there's a there's an apparition of Catan that fails utterly because that mechanism for trading is absolutely horrid.
0: Yeah. Um so you know I That's the core of the game. That's all that's it what is. makes the game the game it is. I don't know I don't wanna say I'm not on the bandwagon because like Settlers has been so popular for so long, I'm not just like naming off the really big games. But Settlers for me, that's I think that is my number two game. Even though I have not played it in a very long time, I'm very excited for when my son Kai gets old enough that
1: mm-hmm. I can
0: then play it with him and my wife, because she likes the game too, but you can't play it two player. That's the, no. the, down, the, the core of the game is the negotiation, the back and forth. When there's two players, it just falls apart and doesn't work. So,
1: It's a, it's a very good family game, a very good social yeah. game. And I mean, hey, it's, it's something you grew up with. So it's yeah. that's, that's understandable that it's really, you're connected to it. Yeah.
0: And I, I think I like it because it's not, uh, well, it can be competitive. You can be very competitive if you want to be. Yeah. But it's not really, it's not a very cutthroat kind of game. It's, it fit, it satisfies my casual Casual gamer.
2: Speaking of the customer that recommended this question, he's the only one I know whose group can literally come to blows over settlers of like Catan, So it can be competitive. It can be very competitive. Yeah. Greg, I'm looking at you.
0: So. Yeah, it depends on depends on the group of players you're playing with. If you've got some uh, prior relationships, maybe you know you you can you bring those into the game, and they can kind of get exacerbated by the the trading situation, but.
2: And there are some moves you can do to try to cut off people from resources and stuff like
0: that. Well, oh, yeah. like, you know, encircling somebody with a road is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. You lose now because I got gotcha. you. <laughs> that's kind of yeah. mean. But uh, yeah, there have been so many good memories for me playing that game. So I, I'm sure that's probably the reason I picked all my games, I have great memories associated with all of them in some way. The other game I've actually got behind me over my shoulder, right here. You probably can't see it on the camera, but it's uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. You guys have played that one?
1: Yep, love it.
0: Yeah. Surprisingly good game. Like For a game that uh, I don't ever really hear anyone talking about, Like when I introduce my friends to it, they're like, I have no idea, I've never heard of this, I've never played this before, but they're like, wow, that was cool.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, to give some context, uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill It's a board game, the map, there is no board per se, there are tiles, and you are explorers in a haunted house. So as you're exploring the map, you add rooms to the map. So the house gets bigger, and it's randomly generated, well, it's random, right? So you have a stack of tiles. So every game is different, the house configuration is different. And the twist for the game is basically the uh, scenarios that you end up playing out, are different each game, depending on what room you've flipped over, plus some other cards that interact with it. So there's this huge number of scenarios that you can play out. So it's a haunted house game, but it can become, uh, you know, Frankenstein or aliens or vampires or whatever the or zombies, whatever the scenario ends up being. So every game you play, it's new, and there's mm-hmm. usually a traitor, which is also some. It's, it's a pretty popular mechanic for a lot of games, where one person ends up being the bad guy. So you're you're originally playing cooperatively, and then one of your players goes insane and tries to summon a demon or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's a very interesting game because it's new; it's always fresh. So even if you've played it like 30 times, there's still a good chance you'll you'll encounter something new because the game will be different, the players will be different, and then the objectives for the game might also be different. So uh, I've had a lot of fun with that one. It's a good way to introduce new players to board gaming who like maybe never maybe they've only played Monopoly or, you know, Parker Brothers kind of stuff, not the, uh, more sophisticated kinds of games that we enjoy. But yeah, okay. I think it's a good, uh, good gateway drug. Yeah, it's tans- good for that too. Yeah, it is very yeah. easy to introduce. Oddly enough,
2: um, um, the trailer is now going to be rebranded under the Hasbro label. It's moving away from the Avalon Hill one. So, um, it looks like they're trying to make a push to make it more muggle friendly kind of situation. But, uh, um, what I really like about that game too, Thomas, is that mm-hmm. there's like something like 50 different haunts and there's a certain tension there because you literally do not know who the betrayer is. Like it could be you. and You don't know until the until the omens reveal right? And depending on where it happens and what you got on you, et cetera, et cetera, you reveal what it is. So you're right. It's a completely different scenario. Um, we ended up one game. We gave Holy Water, a cross, and garlic to the guy that turned out to be a vampire so we gave all the weapons we could do anything to a vampire with to this guy he slaughtered us he just completely killed us but you know that's the fun part of that game you don't know what's going to happen until you open that door and then it all goes to you know
0: goes to hell way it
2: pretty much yeah
0: yeah it's a yeah i've had some some interesting games too and the fact that it's randomized like the best games are have random components but uh This particular game is interesting because every little scenario, every uh, encounter or like every event card that you flip over is an opportunity to either lose stats like by damage or gain stats. Usually it's, you know, there's a chance to do both. So some like on average, your, your typical game is you take some damage, you gain some stats, you know, it all evens out. But sometimes you have a really lopsided game where all you do is just win every die roll. And you end up with, like, an incredibly overpowered character. And I remember there was one game where I was, uh, I was the guy who, who got the super luck and won, like, every single event. Everything I encountered, I just crushed. Just, you know, boxcars every time. So my stats were so high by the time the haunt occurred, I won the game the turn afterwards because I just killed the monster. Like, in the hand-to-hand combat, which you should not be able to do. Like, it's, it wasn't what the scenario was. I was like, oh, I got him. I got them. I have like ten. Or I have eight, eight dice in every single stat because I've already maxed everything out. Like This is, this is unfair. But uh, yeah, so again, good memories. Good memories associated. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are top three. The uh, fourth, I would say, is... Uh, okay, when we were discussing this, I know you said you didn't want to do uh, you know video games, that kind of thing. For me, I, I wanted to throw this in because I think it's related, but Hearthstone... No. No. Hearthstone's been a game for me mm-hmm. that I have really enjoyed, and like the reason I think it fits on the list, at least for me, is that uh, I think there's a a huge opportunity for Her- for Hearthstone to be kind of incorporated into the uh, the business of a game store. The uh, I don't know if you've ever played the game, either of you guys, nope. if you know anything about it.
1: I know it's sort of like Magic. It is. I don't know because like, a very and that's simplified version. Me. Okay, that's what surprised me that it's on your list then because yeah. like, I I don't have no interest in, in Hearthstone because Magic is everything to me in a, in a collectible card game. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah.
0: But uh, I, I like Hearthstone because I like the game. Well, I like Blizzard's games. They make really good stuff in general. But uh, Hearthstone's really nice because it's like a very simple, fast. It's a much faster version of Magic. So you can play the game in generally like under 5 to 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Very quick. And it's just because of the structure and the speed of the game, like the the smoothness of the way the turns go back and forth, and there's no waiting, right? Like with Magic Online, there's a uh, the priority passes back and forth, so you have to constantly are you okay? You know, step, 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 step. Have, like every turn can take a very long time, whereas mm-hmm. with uh, Hearthstone, it's asymmetric. So you take your turn, and then they take their turn. There's no interaction S- midway through, <clears throat> so you're planning the the game out differently, but. Uh, it's a card game, it's free, it doesn't cost you anything to play, which is also a bonus. You can pay money if you want to you know, buy digital booster packs to expand your collection, but the way the game works is you can just play and accumulate gold, and the, they give out free packs as the, pretty much every single week. So you can gradually build up your collection if that's the way you want to do it. So you can approach the game however you however feel like. But uh, the competitive scene for me I find interesting because I think there's a lot of opportunity for game stores to use it as a way to get people in, into their store because they, they have this uh, thing called Fireside Gatherings. And it's kind of like the, uh, the tournament finder or the store locator for Magic. Yeah. So, like, they've got a website that you can go to and it'll show you a list of all the Fireside Gatherings in your area for the next month or something like that. And you can, you know, bring your iPad to whatever the location is, the coffee shop or wherever it's going on, and you can play in this, uh, like, ad hoc Wi-Fi tournament. And it's, it's a pretty cool idea. And I think the, uh, like, I've always thought that Hearthstone would be uh, an interesting option to hold events, to get Hearthstone players into the store, to then introduce them into other games for, uh, for a business to, to kind of get into. But for me, the game itself, I enjoy. Uh, it's great for in-between stuff. Like magic streamers, a lot of the time what they do is they'll play their magic round whatever tournament they're playing in and then they'll flip over to hearthstone and play like four or five games while they're waiting for the round to roll over because it's a great filler it's a great filler game it's not super deep and it's just quick and fun and it's also really entertaining because there's explosions and fireballs and all kinds of cool graphics that make the game visually interesting
1: i
2: had a quick question for you so what would you say the draw for the fireside um gatherings is is it like because you're interacting with other people live, or is do you get special perks in the game? I mean, what's different from playing it at home over your internet versus going to?
0: Yeah, well, there are bonuses. Like they do, uh, they have quests associated with the game, and that's how you like complete certain objectives, and then they give you a reward of gold or booster packs or whatever. So if there's a Firefly Gathering, you do get rewards in that sense. But then they're also just the social aspect of actually being in front of somebody playing the game because that's that's the thing that makes well I, I would say it makes board games and card games and like the tabletop stuff that we do that's what makes it good is this face to face interaction yeah. you get to be with somebody not you're not playing on the computer and just looking at a monitor with other people on the internet it's not the same thing right so that uh, Hearthstone is great it's a but it is a card game so you kind of want to have that interaction right Mm -hmm. that's the one thing that keeps me from playing it more often is that it's very one-sided in the same way that i don't like magic online whereas i do enjoy magic in paper because yeah there's without that other person on the other side of the table it's just boring okay so for my number five choice i originally chose poker but since i wasn't really thinking about poker at the time it ended up being a really crappy part part of the podcast so i wanted to re-record this i'm doing this on my own on the side so uh and i'm also going to choose a different game because i feel that it's a better choice and a more interesting choice than just saying poker is one of my favorites although i do enjoy poker but my real number 5 favorite game at the moment is actually the Dragon Ball Z card game from Panini. And the reason I enjoy this game, obviously, uh, people who maybe listen to the podcast or, you know, who knew me personally, know I'm a big Dragon Ball Z fan. Um, I've been watching that show for a long, long time, and I even I watch it now in its newest incarnation, Dragon Ball Super. So it's, it's something that I really enjoy. So I'm one of those fanboys who, if somebody creates something and then puts Dragon Ball on it, I'm probably going to try it out. So... Uh, that's originally how I got into the game. I, I've been a fan of the show for a long time, and I remember watching it back when it was, uh, released in North America when I was in high school, and the first iteration of the card game, which was created by a company called Score. So, uh, the reason that I like this game, though, is because it's, it's an interesting game. It's different from other card games that I've played, and I think it's very, uh, I think it's unique in that sense. And the reason is, I'll, I'll describe how the game works. Uh, basically, you play a character from the game. So uh, you it's a, custom, a customizable, collectible card game, the same way that Magic is. So you buy booster packs and that kind of thing. You build your collection and you build a deck. And the way the rules for building the deck are, essentially, uh, you pick a character from the show, the anime... And you play as that character as a a fight. So your deck is composed of attacks and blocks, setups and drills, and uh, dragon balls, essentially. And the the basic function of the deck is to deal damage via the attacks to the other player. So the game is interesting because it's got this rock-paper-scissors element where you, uh, you play an attack and then your opponent has a chance to block. And if they don't have the block for that particular attack... Then you deal damage to them and then you kind of take turns going back and forth trying to counter each other's moves. So there's an interesting balance between uh, how offensive and defensive your deck needs to be to be able to win and be effective. But it's uh, the the function of how the deck is actually your life total as well as the attack and defense pool of cards that you use. I find that really interesting because not a lot of games have done something similar to that. So I think that's one of the cooler elements of the game. But, uh, in addition to that, the, uh, so the, the victory conditions of the card game are basically, you run the guy out of cards. Since their life deck, their life deck is their life total, once they're out of cards, you win the game. Uh, there's an alternate version of, of winning the game where, uh, so to go back to the main, to the character, uh, the character that you play starts in play in a sense. If you think of it from a magic kind of standpoint, it's in your command zone in a way. So if, uh, say you're playing Goku, which is the main main character from the show, you start with four levels of this character, and you can mix and match the four levels from all the different sets that have been released, so you can kind of build your stack as you see fit, and each level has a different, like, a different, uh, scale of power levels, and if you know anything about the show, power levels are the, uh, like, a really important element of everything, uh, so, and the power level's on the side of the card determine how much damage you can you deal to each other as well. So like a really powerful character is a, it has assets in that sense is that they just deal more damage than a less powerful character. But uh, yeah, so the alternate version of winning is you level up your character. as you're playing the game, you uh, gain anger and then if you reach five anger through whatever your combination of attacks and abilities, some some cards increase your anger and some cards decrease it. Uh, if you reach five, you level up, you go to the next stage of your character, and if you reach stage four and you maximize your anger again, you attain the most powerful personality victory. So there are uh, more than one ways, or more than, you know, there's more than one way of achieving victory. Uh, the, o- the other way to do it is uh, getting all seven Dragon Balls in play at the same time. That's like a mega combo, and there's there's a lot of variety in the way that you can build your deck and the different colors, the different martial art styles uh, that you can build it with, the uh, so there's a lot of strategy, and like I really enjoy that, and I think it's really cool. And just you know, as a, a fanboy, I, th- I find that fascinating. And one of the reasons that I think it's pretty cool, and I contemplated doing a video on how to play this game because it's kind of unknown, and I think it's better than uh, than many people give it credit for, because the problem with any game that is based off of a show is that automatically people will think, Oh, this is kind of like a bandwagon sort of thing. Like this game does stand on its own. It's got its flaws. I'm not going to say this game is perfect. It's got its issues. It's got its templating problems. It does not stand up against magic. You know, it's not as clean and the rules are not as uh, clear cut as magic is, but it's a good game. It's just got some kinks. It needs to work out. And, yeah, so the uh, I think this game is better than it seems because it's like the fact that it's branded from a Dragon Ball Z perspective is actually a downside for it. Uh, plus, and a, or I guess it's a plus and a minus. People will come for the Dragon Ball Z, like I did, and maybe stay for the gameplay, and then some people automatically dismiss it because they'll think that it's oh, it's just a it's just something for the fanboys. It's not actually a great game or anything like that. It's just they put the branding on it, and that's all. It's that's what's Selling it, not the gameplay, which I wanted to say is not the case. I actually do really enjoy this game, and it's a lot of fun, and it's interesting because, uh, well, I, I think it's got a lot of uh, potential, and the company that creates it, Panini, is doing a reasonable job of keeping it together, and like it's got an interesting history too, which I find pretty cool. Is that uh, since I've been kind of following this thing for a long time, Dragon Ball Z and the card game, I originally played it probably twelve years ago. When they first rolled it out, from another company called Score, that uh, created the game when Dragon Ball Z was originally released in North America, and this is a bit of a history lesson for some of these for some of you people. Uh, but when Dragon Ball Z first arrived in North America, first became popular, uh, Score basically got on the bandwagon. They said so like, okay, this is a really popular. Anime series like anime was just starting to, to heat up for a Western audience, and Score was like, oh let's let's uh, capitalize on this. So they created this card game, and it was the same basic structure. You're playing the characters, you're attacking it back and forth. Your, the gameplay is supposed to model a fight from the show, but uh, the way they structured the game was that the content. So like every set they released actually mirrored part of the storyline, so the first set was the Sand Saga, then the Frieza Saga, and so on, and they went through the storyline, one, you know, like, section at a time, basically, for each set, so there was literally a cap on the number of sets that they could release. Once they reached the end of the series, that was it. They couldn't make any more product. They couldn't release anything else. So it's kind of different from the way that Magic is done, in that Magic's a completely, you know, created, uh, there's a completely unique, and uh, there's no cap on the storyline you think as long as they're willing to continue producing that's that's magic can keep releasing sets whereas this was a, a an issue originally for the first game so they actually uh, and then also they didn't really have a great handle on how to balance a game properly and the first game got so out of control that power creep uh, took over completely so by the end of the series by the end of the set uh by the end of the card game And the, you know, the downside of the popularity of Dragon Ball Z in North America, the final few sets were so much better and more powerful than the past sets that it became completely irrelevant to get anything else other than the the few sets at the end. And it just completely threw out all of the previous work that people had been collecting and working towards. So they kind of destroyed their own game in that sense, which I thought was an interesting path for them to take. But uh, so one of the the nice things I think about the new game is that it's actually in they've got a better a more sustainable model of creating content. So the sets are not necessarily following the storyline of the of the anime directly. They're kind of going back and forth. There's a lot of movies and stuff that are also being drawn from. So there's it's. They've got a lot of potential, and I think the game has a, a lot of room to grow, so if you are interested in trying out a new card game, you know, maybe you want to give that a shot and pick up one of the starter decks and, you know, have at it. It, it doesn't take too long to, to, to figure out, and if you've played card games before, like Magic or anything like that, then you'll pick it up, no problem. So that's uh, that's my recommendation. That's my, that's my number five. You know, uh, also, just as a side note, Dragon Ball Z is making a comeback. In North America, oddly enough, it went up and then went down, and now it's going right back up. And uh, there's a new series called Dragon Ball Super, which carries on the storyline left off from Dragon Ball Z. So, again, slight history lesson for those who don't know Dragon Ball Z. When it was originally released, it, this was it was produced at first in Japan in the 90s. And the series went on for like, I think, uh, I want to say like 280 episodes. So it was a lot, a lot of episodes. But then once uh, Dragon Ball Z ended, they essentially wanted to keep riding that train, and they created a new series called Dragon Ball GT, and the original creator of the series was not involved, and it was essentially treated as like, and the fans of Dragon Ball Z didn't didn't really care for it, so... They only made a couple of seasons of GT and then it kind of died out and then they kind of left it alone. But uh, recently the uh, the popularity of the series has kind of popped back, popped back up and Akira Toriyama has uh, come back on to produce Dragon Ball Super. So he's writing the storyline for that as well as a whole bunch of movies that have kind of like for the first time ever been released in theaters. In North America. So, like, it's making a comeback and the the card games kind of coincided with that. So, I find that really interesting. And as a fanboy, it's a game that I love. You know, I'm, I'm down to play some Dragon Ball Z with anybody who wants to maybe give it a shot. And you're in, you know, catching. Like, I, I wouldn't mind playing some cards with you. So, yeah, that's my number five. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to add that in because, you know, I like poker. But there's not a whole lot to say about poker. Poker's good and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess this also is one of the more odd ones in my list, because the recurring theme for the first four was basically nostalgia and memory creation. You know, I had lots of great times with uh, Magic and Settlers and so on, and like I, I have great memories from those games, whereas this one, it's kind of not memories of the game, it's memories of growing up with the anime and the storylines and the characters and stuff like that, so... So, yeah, that's my number five, and uh, I just wanted to add this in in post because I thought my answer actually during the conversation was uh, w- was crap. So I hope you enjoyed this little walk down uh, Dragon Ball Z Memory Lane, and if you get a chance, you should try it out. I'm Something not sure if I 15? should go next
1: or not because my list uh, feels a bit similar to yours, Thomas. We, we seem to have a, a very similar uh, taste in games. Um, right. So we could either keep talking about some of those same games, um, or move on to something different and then come back? Either or. I can go in
2: the middle if you guys prefer. So
0: Yeah, let's break it up a bit. Okay, so sounds good.
1: So
2: I came up with this little idea to make it a little more interesting. It was, I have a series of props here that I'm going to uh, show you guys for a couple of seconds and see if you can guess what game I'm going to talk about here. Um, and some of them are a little far-fetched, because I couldn't find anything very good. But So my apologies for everybody out there in Internetland. If you go, really, I was supposed to get that from that. But I think once I reveal it, you'll get the connection. So I'm going to start with the easiest one first. At that least, um, you guys got a sneak preview of this little guy over here. But <laughs> if you're following from internet land, you probably know what this is. Any any guesses?
1: Well, I already guessed King of Tokyo. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't it.
0: Yeah, the, yeah. the thing that came up to my mind is, uh, I think it's called Mikokoro. It's the only thing that's got the no, box that's similar. Uh, Mikikoro? Yeah, Mikikoro.
2: Okay, it's not, but it's okay. similar to that in, in the sense of theme. And uh, So that's the little panda, actually, from Takenoko. And I love this game. Okay? This yeah. was my choice for like game that I can play with the mundanes. Right? My, my in-laws can play this game. And every time I break it out... Um, what you saw over there is actually a much bigger upscale version of one of the playing pieces. It's the panda that you move around on the board. And I love it so much that I actually invested in this $400 upsized version that comes in a wood box kind of situation. Um, and every time I break it out, people are like, ooh, ah. Um, that is a good sign. Yeah, and it's basically, it's it's a classic euro style game, right? There's not a lot of direct confrontation between people. The worst you can do to somebody else is send the panda that the um some pieces of bamboo that you were hoping to collect and i like it because it has um so you're basically the royal gardener right and you're taking care of the royal panda and you grow bamboo you irrigate plots and you feed the panda and you can score points by either feeding the panda specific types of bamboo and and the components are absolutely gorgeous even if you buy the base game it's all wood it's all painted it's it's really really nice stuff right Mm -hmm. so it immediately feels nice um but so you can score points by either Arranging the garden in a certain way with these hex tiles that you build the garden as you go. You can uh, score points by growing bamboo of different colors and different heights, or you can score points by feeding the pandas certain combinations of color bamboo. And uh, what happens is you have these points that you basically, until you reveal that card and score it, you haven't scored it. So if you had like, oh, I needed to grow a pink bamboo four tall on a piece of um, swamp, you can score that, but then it's revealed to everybody. So everybody knows your, your points. But if you don't score it and somebody sends the pan that there and eats it, all of a sudden now you haven't met the requirements to score it. So there's a sort of hidden points mechanic that at the end can really change the equation. But you have to decide when do you reveal your hand? Because when you get to 15 points, I think it was, I forgot the exact point, you win. So the closer you're getting to it, easier is for everybody else to kind of figure out what you're doing and start trying to stop your kind of situation. So, um, I really like it because it's, it's easy. It's not overly complex on rules, but it's deep on strategy. So it definitely went with my choice for game that you can play with people that don't normally play games, right? Um, uh, so that's, and, and that's a board game. Now I tried to pick something else. So let's try this one and this one gets a little more kind of crazy they're playing cards poker
1: is that but it's not poker that i'm aiming at The living card game cthulhu no
0: <laughs> yeah i got no clue all right it. this it's one's for
1: malifo
2: the miniatures game okay. uh-huh. Malafo uses a poker deck to basically so i i love miniature games in general 40k was one of my first loves actually man of war which is an older um gw game um but um Malifaux is interesting for a number of reasons to me. It's got a very unique theme. The whole idea is in the 1800s we discover a portal to another world and we build a railroad to go there because there's precious uh, soul stones that we can use to basically power magic. And what this company has managed to do is they have the setting that basically combines wild west with horror gothic victoriana with um, steampunk, right? all In the one miniature game, so the flavor is incredible, it's just really, really good. Matter of fact, there's a podcast of just stories in the world of uh, of, of Malifaux. Hmm. it's actually really entertaining if you guys want to just listen to the fluff. Um, but what's the name? What uh, Through the Breach, it's called, it's a through podcast the it's through the breach, yeah.
0: Okay, I'll um, be included in the uh, show notes then.
2: There you go, yeah. And this is just there's two, one's actual examples of play, and another one's just stories. And the one I find really interesting is these stories The the ads that they put in. For the merchants that are selling stuff, and it's just they're hysterical. They're worth just the price of admission, right there. <laughs> Anyways, the real thing that I like about it is the miniatures are gorgeous. Um, the, the the theme is great. What's what's really catches me is the mechanic of um, the combat. You don't roll dice. You have a hand of cards that you draw. So you have this deck of cards that basically has one very horrible result and one very good result, and everything in the middle. So when we fight, what happens is you put down your attack. I put down my defense and we add it to our stats so if i put down a two and you put down a three you're one ahead of me but i can decide to cheat and draw more cards from my hand hence depleting my hand but making that roll that's really important to me count right can mm-hmm. so i'm adding to that and you can counter uh and what happens is it makes it so you're never if you play 40k thomas you know how bad it is when you roll 15 dice and they all come up once right one in six chance of other failure sucks but you can't do that in malico because once you blew that horrible card, you know you got in-betweens and you got that good card coming up. And until you recycle your deck, that's what's going to happen. It keeps you from constantly failing or constantly be rolling sixes kind of situation. So that's why I really, really love Malaphone.
0: Yeah, that sounds cool. It does give yeah. you a, like it kind of keeps the distribution of what your game will look like within a very set, set amount, right? Like, like you said, rolling 15 ones, that's game over. Yeah. You, you lose. But rolling Damn. 15 sixes, that's like, oh, I won. I just completely, completely won. Everything mm-hmm. is gone now. But that you, wide range
2: is... You have, uh, and you have that control of going, look, I'm pouring card after card in this result because if I don't get this, I'm going to lose this game right now kind mm-hmm. of situation or I'm going to really kill your leader or whatever it is that you're trying to do. It gives you a little more control over how critical it is and how many resources you want to put behind it. So like in that aspect, I haven't seen another game really do that that well. So I really love it because of that. All right, I'm gonna this one's okay. again, like I said, these get a little more esoteric. Does anybody know who this guy is? The guys in internet land are probably going nuts right now. So. Right, that's Cthulhu.
1: That um, is. Cthulhu? Oh well that, I, I, I assumed I wasn't gonna say Cthulhu because that was the uh, obvious answer. I thought that was like a specific one of those one right, of the or gods, or one of the chaos
2: gods
0: or whatever they're called. It is.
2: So um, you mentioned to trail on the house on the hill and there is a board game that I absolutely love even more than betrayal and betrayal i love because it's easy for the mongols this is going to be one of those like do not approach this game really unless you're a gamer it's mansions arkham of horror? madness arkham horror is a close bet and i love that game too i'll tell you why i picked manch and that was i love that game it's cooperative it's it's great um it takes a long time to play and it's yeah, uh, it what i like more about mansions of madness uh because there's all four games mansions of manage eldritch horror Um, and uh, Elder Sign, uh, and Arkham Horror, I love all of them. But Mansions is my favorite of those four because it's storytelling. So unlike Betrayal, where it's random what will happen, Mm -hmm. in Mansions of Madness there's a very specific plot. And um, what's happening is you're uncovering clues one piece at a time. You might smell burning coming from the kitchen, and you're in a room that has a fire extinguisher. Does that make sense? So they're all interconnected. All right. Um, and, and you're really, it makes sense. There's a, there's an underlying plot that you as the good guys are trying to discover. Now they just released the second edition, which is app driven, which means it eliminates the bad guy, um, uh, position. Because before you had to have really, it was almost like playing a session at the indie. You had a keeper who basically knew what the story was and was trying to win against the game and against the players. Because if, if the Keeper doesn't make his objectives, the game wins. If the players don't survive, the, the Keeper wins. Does that make sense? So, um, But the drawback was it was a like really, really long setup time. Uh, it took forever. So the app mitigates that. The bad thing about 2nd Edition is that it got rid of the Keeper, which is my favorite role. I love being the bad guy. I love killing people. You know, I love being the guy in the attic um, working on the Frankenstein monster. So, in a way, I feel a little bit of the storytelling is gone, but it makes it fully cooperative now and it cuts down a lot of that setup time. Plus, it allows you to do things like, I don't know what's behind the door, right, until you reveal it. Um, And another really interesting mechanic about the game, unlike um, Betrayal on the House on the Hill, where the characters were a little more vanilla. Here, uh, if you're, say, like a smart person, like a professor, um, there's a lot of puzzles you have to do. Like, oh, this room doesn't have any light, which means that the monster's attacking you, they get a bonus. You can reconnect the wiring. It's a puzzle. You move around these tiles. The number of moves you get in your turn is based on your intelligence. Or if you're like a Tommy gun wielding crazy gangster, you're good at fighting physical stuff. So each one has a different role and it really kind of fits in. So mm-hmm. it just the storytelling is what I love about that game. And that's why it's probably my favorite kind of like board game for die-hard gamers, right? It's definitely not something I would say. Oh, you just started. Go ahead and try this. I would Never start. Never played
0: a board game before. Let's try this. Let's go. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's explain we'll... the rules for the first three hours, and then we'll get started. Cool. All right, we'll continue
2: with Cthulhu. In case you guys can't tell, yes, I'm a complete Cthulhu head. So oh,
1: ah. H.P. Lovecraft.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. Evil H.P. Dead Lovecraft. and Necronomicon.
2: Yeah, it's the Necronomicon, right? Mm-hmm. So I chose this for my favorite role playing game, which is Call of Cthulhu. Now. Okay. <laughs> I started with D&D. That was my first, first role-playing game. But I love Call of Cthulhu because it completely removes the munchkin aspect of D&D and role-playing, right, in general. You cannot win in that game. You accept the fact that you will eventually go insane and your character will die a horrible death. But it's the journey. <laughs> it is the journey. I how, I how long can I, yeah, can I survive? Can I stop the horror from coming one more day, you know? Um, and I, mean, I remember this one session I had the players so on edge. That there was these. I told them that they heard creaking coming up the stairs, so some of them jumped out of the window and took a whole bunch of damage, right? Before even looking, figuring out what it was, and it was a cat, it was the house cat coming up the stairs, right? And they <laughs> so you can't get that out of D. even Ravenloft and stuff like that. It just there's not that tension because your character becomes a god at a certain point in time, right? He is just nearly indestructible, so you lose a lot of that tension that you have in Colocotoo. And I also really like um, how the mechanism works for skills. Uh, The more, the better you get at something, the harder it is for you to get better at it. So basically you have a percentile roll, and every time you you succeed it, you can ask the DM, Hey, can I try to improve this skill based on what I did? You put a check mark and then you have to roll above that. So if you have 70% chance of success, you now need to roll 71 or higher to improve in that skill. So it balances things out, so it's really hard to become, like, a complete... I win every time, every time there's a driving skill test or a piloting skill or something like that. Mm. So where are we? That's four. All right, I'm going to torture you guys for one more one. And this one's hard because this is probably not the right hat to be doing this in, but... Mm. Let's pretend like this is a cowboy hat. That might help.
0: Oh. Okay. So this looks very Indiana Jones to me.
2: It is very Indiana Jones, but this is not... Although
1: the adventure... Bang. <laughs>
0: which
1: one? Bam. Bam
0: okay not a bad game
2: that's what gonna not
1: i'm just going with the cowboy theme I, I'm not, <laughs> I hear you it's called
2: shadows of brimstone and i love this is i'm gonna call it a board game because that's how it's really marketed however it's really a miniature game that you play on tiles. okay and uh pretend like you had something like the elaborate complexity of mansions of madness the, the fun to play like uh um, between the House of Hill we you're revealing tiles as you go and you don't know what's behind every door. But it's set in a Wild West where um, these dimensions are emerging and things are coming from different worlds into it, right? And you play this band of, I play a Mexican bandito who likes to lob dynamite um, and, you know, drink whiskey. We have a saloon girl that's good at healing. Uh, we have a lawman, um, you know, and it, so you're really going out to try to stop this darkness from coming and gather soul stone and uh, weird stone and make money, et etc. et cetera. But what's really interesting about the game is the campaign. It's a campaign driven game where when you finish a game, you go back to the town you just rescued and you try to get better weapons and, and, and things happen to you. So, um, hmm. I have become, um, a holy bandito because uh, a priest converted me. So now I spread the word. I, kick buck for the Lord, basically. Um, my mustache, because of the weird stone that I collected, mutated into tentacles. So I have a, a huh. Davy Jones. Um, and then I found a mutant prophet who taught me the ways of using my tentacles to hold the pistol. So now I can shoot with three guns. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's just incredible the depth that they put into this game as far as, uh, uh, all the things that happen. Uh, Oh, I'm also a tribal shaman too so I, I have a little bit of conflicting ideologies with religion there I think but yeah it's it's all this stuff becomes part of your character who you are and you just you're just you can't wait for the game to be over literally because you want to find out what happens to your character right I mean it's like the game is fun but you also want to know where you're going we had one guy who ended up getting the itch and kept scratching himself and doing damage to himself he had to find them a doctor to cure him anyways um long story short it's a massive game it's like two ninety dollars starters you can pick one or the other star or you can combine them together and they have a ton of expansions now. So every once in a while we get new monsters, new tiles, new adventures. It's just a blast to play. So those those were my top five right now. Again, um, to give you an idea, Shadows of Brinstone, I play every other Sunday in this campaign with a bunch of friends. Oh, it's also I think it goes up to seven players, which is a really good game when you have a larger group. Right. And it scales well, no matter how many players you have it works pretty well. so
0: you, know. you have me sold. That sounds really cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. Especially
0: <laughs> like, the tentacle mustache with two... Yeah, yeah, it's ones.
2: so much fun. And I have this habit of lobbing dynamite. So far, it hasn't backfired, but uh, it could potentially bounce into your group, and then I get yelled at. But, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm curious. You wear, action. like, a, a small pistol and a necklace, and your mustache just reaches down your shirt. And you know, it. I haven't <laughs> visualized <laughs> it
2: quite yet. I'm picturing <laughs> a Zoidberg kind of thing, to be honest with you. So more like holding it with my which might make the powder burns really a pain in the neck to deal with. But, you know, I mean, yeah, so that's fine.
0: So what do you got for us, Wayne? Yeah.
1: So um, my top five. This was, uh, this was tough for me uh, to fill out the fifth number. Uh, the first four were pretty easy, uh, and that's because I don't play a ton of different games. The one games I do play, I go in super, super deep. So it was. It was. I was struggling to find a fifth game that I could, uh, I could, I could write down, and I almost kind of want to change it after uh, Thomas's list there when he uh, mentioned (laughs) the. the It's it's because of the Hearthstone. It's because of the Hearthstone because, uh, like, currently I'm playing that Pokemon Go. (laughs) And I, you know, I, I. And that's not my top five, but I just want to, you know, segue with that. And, uh, but that's what came to mind when Thomas mentioned the, uh, the
2: fireside yes, gathering. So that's the first exactly. thing I thought.
1: Of. Exactly. We have a, we have a Pokestop yep. um, right outside our store, which we're lucky. You know, if people don't know what that is in the game, uh, their locations in the game... Uh, it's a geocaching game, first of all. So you're you're walking around in the real world, and there's GPS points where there's stuff. And there's there's this Pokestop where you can collect things that you need in the game, and uh, you can set lures, which is why I even got the game in the first place. Because I, I registered early when the game first came out into Canada. I registered as Dueling Grounds. So I got my store name as my character name. And I can set lures at this stop right outside my store. In a, and if you click on the lure, it says it's set by Dueling Grounds. It, set, it says it's set by whoever. So I bought it purely. I got into it purely as a as a business investment because I did. I, I dropped 140 plus tax for uh, pokey coins so wow. I could set these lures. Well, it breaks down to uh, one dollar a lure, and yeah. and that that runs exactly. for.
2: Sorry, did twenty dollars so far. So you know, I mean, I, I feel outclassed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, um, well, uh, so the the lure when you set a lure, it lasts for half an hour. So you're you're paying one dollar for half an hour of people that will will be drawn to your corner. And then you know, I I recently bought this big Pokemon sign to put in my window. So hopefully, the idea is they they come to the PokeStop, they see a Pokemon sign, they're like, oh, let's check out this cool place. And we we're really uh, You know, we're investing in Pokemon the card game a lot more now. We got a a professor who who works with kids for a kids program, and and we still haven't got the adult league going yet. But I know there's older people that play. Maybe they're just a little shy to come out, but. But with this Pokemon go, it's exploding. But anyways, that's just, uh, that is something I'm playing. I, I, I actually do enjoy it. I don't know why it's, it's such a silly, stupid, simple game. I didn't grow up with Pokemon. I'm, I don't even know what they're supposed to be called. I just, I'm just like, okay, the, the farting ball thing, you know, <laughs> whatever the Pokemon, I don't know their proper names. And, uh, that, uh, no, that's, With that. that's cool
0: though. Because <laughs> I've been thinking about Pokemon Go for a while too. I've seen other stores that have done that, where they have yeah. set up the stop and like, what have you seen? Like a, a payoff? Like, does it, do you get a lot of people really coming into the shop, being like, oh, well, I'm, I'm catching um, Pikachu right now, throwing the the Pokeball? Yeah,
1: yeah. I it's uh, I I don't know uh, yet for sure if anybody's come in. It's still really new, um, and uh, it is really hot. But although certainly the fo- uh, the Facebook postings I make. Um, those you talked about Facebook like trending and stuff. If you put something about Pokemon Go, it generally trends. And when someone hmm. saw that, yeah, we're going to do Pokemon stops here. People like shared it like crazy, just so people knew where it was and cool. and because uh, we you know we, we we set lures at specific times a day. Um, yeah, so that we had a couple thousand views on that post. So it, it definitely cool. paid off there right away. Yeah,
2: of course it's it we. So it's based on the Ingress engine, so we were already a Nexus because of that. Um, so it made us into a PokeStop automatically, and I was wondering what was going on. I felt like uh, <laughs> I, I literally felt like I was sitting in walk, uh, Dawn of the Dead in the mall with these people just coming up to the store with their phones in their face. Right? I couldn't figure <laughs> out what's going on. Then I put two into together, but um, we yeah. use it mostly as an exposure tool. There's there's people that don't know about us, and then they find out about us. I don't know how many of them are really converting to Pokemon card game. There's some, you know. uh, But at least they know we exist, and they're like, oh, interesting, you know what I mean? Um, Some people even apologize when they come in. I'm sorry, I'm just here to catch Pokemon. It's okay. You want a cup of coffee while you're here, you know? So it's uh, it's actually good. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah, it's a great game. Um, But going on to my list, sorry (laughs) for that uh, diversion there. Um, So... uh, Number one. It's funny how we're going number one down instead of like working up to number one.
2: Well, I don't and know if mine was like, "Oh, this is the best game." I just okay. Think, yeah, mine wasn't in any specific order. So, like yeah, you guys I definitely, mine I can was. tell I Magic yeah. is your your thing. I get it.
1: So. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Yeah, I. I. Uh, I'm, I'm. I've already kind of spoiled that, bit. and I guess I'll go one to five just because you know Magic is already we're we're talking about it. So yeah, I've been playing Magic for over twenty years. Um, it it was, it wasn't the first game I was hooked on, but it, it, it's the game that hooked me the deepest and it's something I would just lay in bed and think about card combinations. I wouldn't be able to sleep. Um, it, it, when it hooks you, it really hooks you. Uh, and, uh, I, I started, uh, with a fourth edition two player starter set. Um, and for those who don't know, I think we're assuming Thomas, everybody knows magic, but it is the very first collectible card game ever made. Um, based on math and stuff, and there's you know they had a, a there is a problem with the game that they can't really go back and fix. But this is as far as the mana um, being able to pay for your spells, so is kind of part of the game now. But it was the very very first one, still um, I believe the very best of collectible card games, and so many have come and gone over the years. It's ridiculous. Uh, um, so now I, re- I reflect that at my store, I just carry Magic, Yu Gi Oh, and Pokemon because of that. I don't have time, and I like to go really deep into games, like I said. But um, I, I love Magic so much. Like I, uh, I go to this uh, hippie music festival um, every year co- called uh, the Omer Union Project Solstice Festival. Uh, first time I went there uh, five years ago. I'm walking. You're, you just you're you camp in the woods with people, and and uh, at the end the weekend it's like a, a rave party. But uh, during the week when you're camping with people, um, I just. Uh, as I was walking through the forest, I'd see all these people sitting down on a log or in the grass or wherever playing magic. And it might just, it freaked me out. I'm like, what? Like, this isn't a game store? This isn't like, you know, this is like this festival and people are, are playing magic out here. That's nuts. And so, uh, I had to, and there was, there's theme camps in this, and a lot of festivals have theme camps and right away, I'm like, okay, I'm coming back here next year and I'm coming with a magic theme camp. And, uh, my buddy Graham, uh, loved the idea as well. And, um, we just, out of the passion, of the game we've created this year after year it gets bigger and bigger uh, magic the gathering theme camps and we keep promoting it too and this has nothing to do with my store it's a great opportunity for me to like hey come to Dueling rounds but i you know the festival is not about that it's about you know having fun and connecting with people so uh, a lot of people don't even know i own a store and i just like sitting down with people and and, and it's very very casual and that's where we differ thomas i'm super casual i love multiplayer um it's it's uh, and i you know even when i like competitive play too but even when it's competitive i really like um to do a rogue deck i like to build my i don't like the like okay what are the top five decks because with the internet everybody knows what the decks are that you play unless you're like super in with some uh, pro group and broken some new tech but uh yeah i i um I love I love doing things out of the normal with, with magic. And, um, yeah, I think that's enough about talking about magic. I think you covered magic really well. Uh, the second, uh, my number two would be uh, Dungeons and & Dragons. And now this uh, is the very first game I was introduced to um, that was outside the norm, like outside the Monopoly box. And uh, I... I loved it. I, I, I just, I got hooked. I got introduced when I was in grade six, I think. And, you know, I was kind of a a nerd at the time and, you know, I got, I
0: got, I got pulled
1: into Yeah. I got pulled into that, the, the group of, you know, the, the shy kids and they just, they were like, you know, kids that were playing D and D were desperate to get anybody to play with them. So just like, you know, want to play D and D and I'm like, I just was like, OK, just like, wow, someone wants to do something with me. <laughs> and so it was my first time feeling really accepted. Uh, and um, so there's a very strong emotional tie to that game. And but I, I, I really, really love it. I love fantasy. I'm, I'm a huge fantasy purist. I hate it when fantasy gets mixed with sci fi. That kind of really bugs me. I'm the same um, way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so, like
2: that room for that reason. Not because of the game mechanics. I just don't like the
1: theme. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, now, um, currently, I am playing Pathfinder, uh, but really, I think of it as the same game. I mean, it's just mechanics; it's the same game, really. Uh, and um, yeah, I've, I've when I when I moved to Toronto, um, when I was an adult, you know, I was I was on this double date, and the guy was like, "Hey, do you play D anD D?" And I'm like, "Why? Like, I played when I was a kid. You have been on a date." I, it, I was on a double date, and yeah. the other guy, yeah, was... We were seeing the director's cut of uh, Blade Runner. And, uh, yeah, we just... He, he just mentioned that he he plays D&D, and I was just like, adults play that? Like, the, the concept <laughs> of being grown up, like, I thought, you know, that was something I did as a kid, okay, and just blew my mind, but there's a part of me that was like, you know, oh, I I love D&D. Like, I'm allowed to play that as an adult, really? And, uh, and I was also, you know, new to the city. So it was a chance to, to meet friends. And, and, uh, I met my first real core group of friends when I moved to Toronto, uh, through that game, uh, which again, really hooks it to me in a, in a nostalgic and uh, emotional way. And we continue to play now that we've all grown up and had kids and careers. Uh, it's a lot harder to get together. So we, we try to get together like once a month. Um, and I, th- I think, uh, you know, that this is sort of an ongoing theme, um, with my list. And, and I think from, for you guys too, it, it's not totally just about the games. It's how it's who we play with. It's our experiences with the game. Cause I mean, like when you say Catan, I was like, what? Like I, 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 I like Catan. I liked it a lot more at first, but the more I played it, I was just like, okay, it's is random dice roll and you can just lose a game and have to sit through Absolutely. it and yeah. it's painful um which is why I I don't think it's a great game but uh very good social aspect to it uh and everything I don't want to put poo it but uh but it was it was you know something you grew up with so I I totally get that um my number 3 uh is well now it's called Age of Sigmar but I was playing Warhammer Fantasy for again another 20 years or so uh, and, um, on and off, I did, you know, there'd be years between when I was playing and not, and whatnot, but, uh, I loved everything about the game. I loved the fantasy, the purest fantasy feel of it. I loved, uh, this, the sculpting, the building, the models. I loved making things different than when they, what they came out of the box. Like it was a, a way to be creative. Um, and it's, uh, it's quite an investment of time and hobby. It's not just a game. It's a hobby. It's like, you're, you're putting yeah. model tickets together, you're painting, Um, and it's so rewarding to get all that stuff done and painted and put on this beautiful sculpted table of terrain and, uh, just appreciate that and have someone you're playing with appreciate what you've done. And, uh, when you both have fully painted armies on the table, it just looks so beautiful. And it's a satisfying feeling. Um, and. Yeah, just to interject
0: a bit, that's probably one of the few games other than, I guess, the other games, workshop games where you'll put in probably like 30 to 40 hours of work without even playing a game. Oh, yeah. Like building an army is an incredibly intense labor of love, and mm-hmm. you haven't even really done anything yet.
1: You're yeah, and lots of people. Sculpting and painting. Yeah, but lots huge of people. Payoff. Yeah, and lots of people buy it with no intention of playing. Yeah, some people just stop it's there just, and hear it. Some local people never models. get
2: there. They just play the game and never finish painting their models, unfortunately. Oh, well, yeah.
1: There's there's both sides. There's the ones who throw the models together and then just play because they're just interested in playing the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny. There's, uh, We have a, like a, a local guy who's a pro painter. His name's Adam. Um, but uh, there's a lot more uh, people looking for that service of like, hey, man, I want to play this game, but I don't want to paint the models. And they, they're willing to pay hundreds of dollars because why not? They're already paying hundreds for the models. Um, to have them all beautifully painted for them. Um, and uh, for those who aren't familiar with that game, it's a tabletop miniature battle game where you're playing on a sculpted table, three foot by six foot table. Uh, imagine something like a, a train set with little hills and trees and buildings. And then you're, uh, you have each side has an army of lots of little miniatures um, of their uh, their leaders and their their units and you use a measuring tape uh for movement and for uh how far you can reach with your your guns and stuff and uh you roll a bunch of d6s although it's a lot more uh complex than risk and uh i just wanted to say um i was super pessimistic when age of sigmar came out because they mm-hmm. did completely change the game of fantasy they, they just from the ground up completely changed it and I just, I was like, what the hell? What are they doing? And, and there was all these rage quit videos online. Like one guy just laid out like maybe a $1,000 of models that he worked on and painted and just laid it on fire while he ranting and using terrible language about how terrible the game was. And it was like, uh oh, what's you know, there's your five minutes of glory. But wow, what was the point of that? He, he obviously didn't give it a shot because, you know, I was a big pessimistic. Then I played my first game. Of Age of Sigmar, and uh, I had more fun playing that than Warhammer Fantasy in years. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the biggest reason was how simple the rules were. It's four pages of rules are the core rules, and uh, you know, previously with Fantasy, it was you know all these different situations. I followed different rules and I found myself spending so much time flipping through the rule book for certain situations, you know, you spend, you know, at least a quarter of the game looking through the the rule book. Um, And especially if you're a long time player between fifth, sixth, seventh edition, third edition, fourth edition, you get all the rules mixed up from different generations of the game. Um, So it's a simple game. So all you're left with is just having fun with the game and the strategy. And I have to say the strategy is a lot deeper than you think it is when you first look over the rules, because I have yet to have a really good game, like like do well in the game, because I haven't quite figured it out. And to me, that's a sign of a very good game if it's easy to, to learn and play and hard to master. Uh, so I think Age of Sigmar has a, a lot going for it right now, too. And they just released the General's Handbook, which finally gives things point values, which right. is left out. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's another game um, I've played for years and years and years. Um, interject. Uh,
2: yeah, one great thing about Age of Sigmar that it's got its detractors. I understand they're fixing a lot of the problems, like the point cost, like you said. One thing that needed to happen with fantasy because it's a huge barrier to entry. Age of Sigmar is much easier to get into. One or two models you can start painting. Wherever fantasy, forty models can be a unit, and you need multiple yeah. units <laughs> to play. So I, I understand why it is, and 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 you know I I always tell people play the version you want. You know the models are those. Play whatever you want to play 8th edition, play it. You know, you want to play Age of Sigmar, you have options. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's my number three. Uh, number four is my favorite all-time board game, and that is Carcassonne. I love Carcassonne. Really? Again, it's a very easy-to-learn uh, game to play. Really hard to master. Um, and you won't, you won't realize that until you play someone else's really good you're like oh shit you know um it may seem simple now what carcassonne is is uh it's a tile laying game um each turn you start with one tile and you're creating this overhead uh graphic depiction of carcassonne this old old uh city uh and uh there's it's it's walled cities roads um you're you're creating you're basically creating a world and as you place a tile down, and it has to has to fit on all four sides, so that can get tricky as the game goes on. Um, and then uh, you have the option when you place a tile to place uh, a meeple, and everybody's heard the term meeple, but uh, it's a little little guy that you, you put on. And if you put him in a city, he's a knight. And once the the tiles finish that city, you get two points per tile if you have a knight in that city. And then you get your little guy back once you are finished it. You can put the guy on a road. He's a thief. And then once the road is finished, you get one point per road. Uh, and then you get him back. Uh, so completing things, is there's motivation to complete things, to uh, get your guys back. Because you only have so many of them. It's important to, to manage your, your little meeples. And um, I mean, I, I'm, I am really good at it, which is probably part of the reason I like it. Um, but it's also, I, I, I played a lot with one of my best friends, uh, Graham. Uh, you know, so there's, there's that as well. And, um, you know, it's, it really scales well too. It's, it's one of those few board games, um, that is super good with two players and it scales up beautifully with like a group of of four or five, although you may need more, uh, expansion sets. And, uh, I always play with, uh, the base set with, um, Inns and Cathedrals and, um, uh the the builder one the one with builders and i'm blanking on on what's called uh but i find the base of those two sets uh make it a really really good balanced game it uh it ups the points of roads so roads are more worth going for um and uh yeah ups the the worth of being a farmer which when you place a a piece down on a, a piece of land um you only get the take those back and, and count the points at the end of the game. So once you put them down, they're locked in. Uh, and, uh, you basically get three points per city that you touch, that only you touch. Um, where with the, the, expansion, you get five points per, uh, per city that your farmer feeds, which makes it way more worth dedicating that, that place down. And, and I've actually, uh, won a lot of games just warring over the farmlands. And, uh, I can't say enough good things about this game. It's, it's, uh, Super easy to learn, too. And, and uh, Thomas, I'm curious why you're surprised. I, I was surprised about uh, Catan, and, and yeah. uh, you're surprised. Uh,
0: maybe it's just my inexperience with the game, but I've, I've, I've okay. played a handful, and it just, it, maybe it wasn't for me. Like I just didn't oh. really enjoy it that much. Dude, yeah. I'm not sure what the, maybe the gameplay, I don't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those simple games, but the complexity yeah. is hidden. Like, I hope you don't yeah. which tiles out. came out already. What's left in the bag? Uh, what are my chances of of literally scoring this piece right now or wasting him right you there's there's a lot of i mean a a kid can play it he won't understand all those things but he can still play it yet if you're really into trying to analyze all your possibilities there's a lot of complexity as far as like you know yeah yeah yeah, i usually
0: do like that kind of game i like like when i used to dabble in like making games when i was younger i put a game together and that was one thing that you want the rules to be simple and easy to understand, but the strategic depth is where you want the the fun to be. That's where the interesting part is. So, like, simple mm. rules can create very interesting, complex situations, and normally I enjoy games like that. Rather than, like like you are saying with uh, Fantasy versus Age of Sigmar, I don't like a game with, like, a huge, thick rule book to cover every situation. I'd rather have a very tiny number of rules that can be applied anywhere, and then, you know, try and eliminate as many corner cases as possible. But, uh, yeah, like, and it sounds like Carcassonne is... It does do that. In the sense that it's it's it easy to learn play. and then there's just a lot of strategic depth, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I just haven't played it enough to really uh, to feel it yet. But like a couple of games in, I was like, eh.
1: Maybe I haven't felt that pleasure in screwing over your opponent by putting a tile somewhere where they're not, <laughs> unable to now finish this huge maybe. city with the cathedral and they're working up to this thirty point score and you just screwed them over. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I can see the I could see the fun for that. Okay. All right, so uh and number five for me, um uh Pokemon Go, I guess. <laughs> but really uh what I had written before and we'll go with here is um the Pathfinder Adventure card game. Oh, that's a good one. And uh yeah, it's it's a great game. It's um It really feels like you're playing a lighter version of Dungeons and Dragons or the Pathfinder role playing game. Uh, But you're just, instead of your character, you've got a deck of cards, and when you run out of cards, you run out of hit points and you're dead. Um, so you're trying to finish the game before you run out of cards. So there's a built-in mechanism where you can only have so much time to, to figure out the scenario. Uh, Mm -hmm. it scales up really well. Um, depending on how many players there are, it depicts how many locations there are and the locations are represented by, by decks, the piles of cards. Um, so when you go exploring or adventuring, you know, you gotta lift the card up, sort of like Munchkin, You, you turn the card up, it could be a monster, it could be some treasure and, uh... Your, the cards that represent your, your, um, your, uh, your player, though, actually not the, not the deck, but the, the card that actually lists your stats and stuff like that, those change over the game as well. As you complete adventures, you get skill points and you can tick things off on your card and your, your, your character actually levels up. Uh, and uh, I think it's because I love d and so much that uh, it's like you can break this out and just play a game with anybody and feel like you've played a game of d and um, the setup time is uh, a little heavy, and um, teaching it to somebody for the first time is, is uh, might be a bit tough. But um, I think I think, uh, and, and again, I this is a game that my wife and I play with another couple. We really like doing that with them, and, and that's part of the reason that game is is uh, is on my top five. You know, it's it's a lot about who you share these experiences with, and. Um, Yeah, I guess that's all I have to say on it, so.
2: Yeah, no, I like it too. I I play a campaign every Thursday of it, and what I really like is the fact that it still combines dice rolling, right? So you have your stats, and you have your weapons that add modifiers, but there's still that random, Hail Mary, can I make this kind of thing, Um, you know? So it it does feel a little bit like playing D&D without the DM, without getting totally involved in in a full session, so. Yeah, and without the D20, they're polygon dice, but...
1: They left the D twenty out, which is kind of refreshing too.
2: Ah, uh, well, yeah, you can you can still upgrade your your polygon by spending a mythic charge to a D twenty, and the odds better your odds. But wow. anyways, um, I'm kind of excited. What was it? Um, Fantasy flights coming out with? I'm not gonna call it the same because I don't know how it plays exactly, but a, a Cthulhu one version of that. Uh, oh yeah an Arkham horror living card game that feels like it's going to play mm. someone like that. I'm, I'm really interested in checking it out. That might be on my top five next year. We'll see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we could uh, do a second top five later on down the road when things have changed and we've got some new choices, some new sure. favorites coming up. No, yeah, those are some pretty cool games. He definitely got me sold on a few of them. There's a bunch that I want to try now. And uh, yeah, I think it's been, been a good show. Uh, for the listeners, if maybe don't, they don't know, but uh, the next episode's actually going to be live. Right, John's, John's coming to Canada.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've decided to, to, to pay us a visit up north and see if you. I heard you guys have water, right? I mean, am I going to be able to see some water like out
1: ice there? Ice <laughs> when you come here. you guys are
2: starting to drain our Great Lakes. It's already happening. Yeah, so what I, I don't know if I'm personally doing it, but. The, no, 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 ice, no. If, Gosh, no. I do put ice in my martini, so I am guilty, but uh, mostly <laughs> I drink. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming to Canada, so I'm going to see you guys, and we're going to meet at uh, Wayne Store. Right? Is that what we're doing? This? Yeah, you we'll know, be
1: uh, recording in, in our game room at doing Grounds, and uh, hopefully, it won't be too too noisy in the background. It is game day, uh, so we'll have a fair amount of Magic players, and it's a uh, big day for the uh, the 40K guys. Um, although you know, when we start recording the show, we'll be you know right when we open, so we'll take a while from the fill-in. But they can be a rowdy bunch sometimes. But it might add some fun background to the to the show too. We'll live with it. You know, we'll see yeah. how many rabbit
2: ears I develop during the uh, the, the course of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. well, I'm looking forward to it. I think that'll be a lot of fun.
2: This was a lot of fun, even though it was hard. Uh, you know, I still yeah. had fun doing it. So yeah,
0: I cool. want to thank the uh, the young fella who suggested.
2: Oh, I don't know really? if he's young, but, but yeah, it's Greg.
0: The fella. <laughs> we're going to go with young at
2: heart. That's, that's where we're
0: going so. to go. was a good option. Yeah. And if uh, yeah, you guys have any other suggestions, any other uh, possible things you want us to talk about, we're always open to to some new ideas.
1: Right? All right, sounds good, Thomas. Bye, Thanks for having back. me on the show again. Bye, everybody. All right, Bye, guys.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode where we talked about our top five slash top 15 favorite games. Uh, if you had all three of us together, that is. Uh, Yeah, I hope you really found some interesting picks in the list, and uh, maybe you could go out and uh, you want to try out some of these games for yourself in the future. I know I sure do. I'm really looking forward to trying out some of the games that John mentioned. They sound like a lot of fun. Now, since this episode is brought to you by Audible.com, I recommend you go to audibletrial.com forward slash mvpbook. And if you do that, you can go there and it'll let you sign up for your free first audiobook download. Now, I'm a big fan of audiobooks because I have a lot of time on my hands where I can't watch a video or I can't do something other than what I'm doing, but I can listen to music or I can listen to audiobooks. And, you know, music's great, but sometimes you want to learn something and sometimes you want something new, you know, generally listen to the same songs over and over again. It gets kind of boring, so you want to break that up a little bit. Audiobooks are perfect. You can listen to an audiobook at the same time as you're doing something else, so it really fits into a lot of uh, a lot of life. And since you're listening to a podcast, you're probably already down with this kind of concept anyway. So you're probably going to really enjoy audiobooks. So I do want to recommend a particular book to you because it's an awesome book. It's an awesome book series. It's called uh, The Great Ordeal, and the book series is by an author named R. Scott Baker. And he's written the Prince of Nothing series. That's what I'm going to call it. Uh, it started out with The Darkness That Comes Before, and then The Warrior Prophet, and then so on and so forth. But uh, The Great Ordeal is the sixth book in a series, and it's the last one I've recently gotten off of Audible, and it was a fantastic experience. One of the cool things about Audible is that uh, when you download an audiobook, they are basically it's an actor essentially narrating the book towards to you. So it's a little bit different than getting the internal monologue you have when you read a book yourself you get the crazy voices and it's, it's really cool so uh the book that i rec or the reason i recommend this book series basically is uh it's fantastic because it's my favorite sort of story it's philosophy wrapped in fiction and it's set in a high fantasy tolkien-esque sort of mold so as gamers i know that you will enjoy it now it's not exactly a uh It's a not-safe-for-work, PG-13-to-rated-R kind of book, so this isn't for the young ones in the audience. This is for the adults. But, uh, you know, if you're into Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or anything along those lines, you will definitely enjoy this book, and I recommend you check out the series. Okay, guys, that's it for this episode of the Metaverse Podcast. I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, Like, subscribe on iTunes, all that great stuff. Go to MetaverseSaga.com to check out past episodes of the show and
2: uh